the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Chris Petroder. Today on the podcast, we are continuing our series looking at the wisdom that can be found in the book of Proverbs. And in this particular message, we are looking at Proverbs chapter 1. And the title of this message is The Beginning of Knowledge. Looking at uh, primarily the, the the idea of the fear of the Lord, what it is and what it isn't, and how it can actually help in the guiding of our lives and, and help us to avoid destructive things. So let's go ahead and head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Well, if you've got a bulletin, um, the front of your bulletin has the passage that we're going to be looking at today, which is Proverbs 1, 1 through 18. And I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us, and we will share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot in their paths, for their feet rush into evil, and they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait, all right, but it's for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. So the last few weeks, I've been doing a little uh, mini-series on Proverbs, and I've never, I don't know if I've ever, at least as a pastor, done a message on Proverbs, so I've kind of been digging Proverbs. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool book, and uh, it's, it's certainly a lot easier to teach from than some other ones, which is kind of why I chose it, because I've been working on, the, 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 the real effort is working on the, a series on the book of Genesis, which I hope to do in a few weeks, but uh, the next two weekends, we're going to have members of our teaching team uh, speaking and so I started this series a, a few weeks ago in the fourth chapter of Proverbs, and then last week we were in the third chapter of Proverbs, and now we're going to the, to the first one, because this is how a non-linear musician comes at the book of Proverbs. So uh, what may not make sense linearly, uh, hopefully will make sense in other le- uh, levels. But this passage is really the introduction to the whole book of Proverbs, and we find 
uh, number one, that it says that these are sayings of Solomon. Now, not all the Proverbs are sayings of Solomon, but certainly the, the first two, few chapters and, and most of the sayings are attributed to Solomon. Solomon, if you don't know, was the, uh, one of the greatest, probably second greatest king of Israel right under David, who was his father. But Solomon is noted as a person who, when he was young, instead of seek, setting his heart to seek after uh, material possessions, uh, fame, or fortune, Solomon set his heart to achieve wisdom. He's like, God, just let me be wise. And this is, this is an important thing for us to note, that Solomon actually end up becoming, ended up becoming the, the wealthiest man probably in, in, in the history of Israel. The, the, he, he was a, a king. Uh, he, he was ruling at the pinnacle of the golden age of Israel. And uh, so, so because of wisdom, he actually became wealthy and powerful and all that, but he, he achieved it the right way. And that is kind of one of the fundamental lessons of Proverbs is that if you follow these wise sayings, uh, they don't guarantee that you're going to get rich or powerful or anything like that, but your, your chances of actually knowing what to do with wealth or power and not let those things destroy you have greatly been increased if you come at them from the way of wisdom. And so in this passage, we see what is really the cornerstone of all the book of Proverbs, and that's why it's here at the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, this phrase pops up time and time again, a a similar phrase like this. If you go to Proverbs 9, it actually says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and, And you can make some distinctions between knowledge and wisdom and understanding, but but look, the, the, what Proverbs tries to tell us is that like wisdom, knowledge, understanding, like it all starts out with the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is kind of a difficult concept for us, though, because as Christians, we affirm that the primary nature of God is love. I mean, that's the what we see of Jesus in the Gospels and what we hear explicitly written by the apostles is that God is love. That statement is not made anywhere in the Old Testament. There's no statement you can find that says God is love in the Old Testament. And this is obviously some of the tension that, that Christians have when reading the Old Testament. is like, you know, is this God the same God that they worship in the New Testament? This guy seems kind of mean. Jesus seems all nice. I like Jesus. But what do we do with this? And this is compounded when we come to a a phrase like the fear of the Lord. And I know many Christians, when it comes to, like, the idea of fearing God, like, eh, I'm going to skip that one. I like, I prefer to think of, you know, uh, the the happy, merciful, compassionate, loving Jesus. I like that one. But I don't know what to do with this other thing. But part of that problem is that the phrase, the fear of the Lord, is, it's it's a phrase that is trying to explain something for which there is no equivalent English word to the ancient Hebrew. I mean, this, there's one word in Hebrew. It's uh, I'm going to butcher this. Do we have anybody that speaks uh, fluent ancient Hebrew in here? Okay, good. Yira, <laughs> yira. I had one of those at a Mediterranean restaurant the other day. <laughs> Yira is uh, the fear of the Lord. It's a one word, and we translate it into, like, you know, this compound sentence, and, and that's part of the problem. When we, when we look at it, we take the words, the fear of the Lord, and we just put them all together and combine all their meanings, and we get something like, be afraid of God. And while fear 
actual fear is a component of this word. It's only one attribute of this world. And, and, it, and if you just stick it at fear, you miss really the, the, the vastness of what this word is actually getting at. Yira, yira, I think, is, I think the accent's on the ah. I'm going to keep butchering it. It's, it's actually closely related, most closely related to another Hebrew word, which is ra'ah. I'm sounding like a Hebrew now. Ra'ah, which is the Hebrew word for seeing. And I don't think it's any coincidence that these two words, the fear of the Lord and seeing, are intimately tied together because it is as we grow in the fear of the Lord that we can truly see things as we were intended to see them. I think one of the best translations that I come across when I was studying for this actually comes from one of the premier Old Testament scholars, John Golden Gay. And he translates verse 1, which verse 1 is, I mean, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom instruction and instruction. Golden Gay translates this, which I think this is a, a more accurate translation that we can understand. He says, the first principle of knowledge is awe for Yahweh. Stupid people despise wisdom and discipline. That's a little bit easier to understand. Stupid people don't want discipline or wisdom. They, they don't, but smart people, the people who are stepping on the road to knowledge and wisdom are the ones who have awe for God. We've all experienced awe in our lives, huh? Have any of y'all ever been to the Grand Canyon? How many? Yeah, yeah. And, and for those of you that haven't, I think we can all, even if, I got to see the Grand Canyon earlier last summer, and uh, man, it's beautiful. If you ever get a chance, if you haven't been there, you ought to put that on your list of things to do. But what do you do when you go to the Grand Canyon? <laughs> it's interesting. There, you, at the Grand Canyon, you don't see any signs that say, be quiet. You don't need them. Because people... What do you do when you show up at the Grand Canyon? You just go over to the edge and you just sit down and you go, wow. And you can sit there for hours. I mean, we, we spent an afternoon there and, and, and most of the time it's just like, I mean, we hiked around a bit, but a lot of the time it's just like you find a place to sit and you sit there and you just look. Wow. <laughs> it's awe-inspiring. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But it is fearful too, right? Why? Because if you act like a fool, you're going to step off of this thousand, couple thousand foot drop and, and die. And there's people that die every year at the Grand Canyon. Because, and, and most of the time, it's just foolishness. They just didn't have an appropriate respect for the Grand Canyon. And so they might, you know, there's people who hike down the Grand Canyon and think, ah, oh, I've, I've got a little bottle of water here. This will do good. And, and they, 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 the problem with hiking down the Grand Canyon, the easy part is going down. Whereas, like, hiking mountains, the, the easy part's coming back. They use all their energy going down, and now they got to come back, and they're dehydrated, and people die. And I think... This is a good analogy, at least to kind of get us on the road to what the fear of the Lord actually is like. You know, when I was um, 18 years old, I just graduated high school, Midland High, Midland, Texas. And 
I got to go on a cruise with, with, with my family. And I had never been on a cruise before. I'd never been snorkeling before. And the first time that I ever went snorkeling was in Grand Cayman Island. And I don't know what it, the water's like nowadays because that was a long time ago. And there's probably been a lot of water pollution since then. But, man, at the time, it's like you could see, like, at least 100 feet underwater perfectly. I mean, like, pristine. It's like the stuff you see on National Geographic. But when you're standing outside of the water on the shore, I mean, you can see things moving down in there. But, man, when you actually go under the water, holy, wow, it was, I remember going under the water, and even though I'd seen National Geographic specials on, on all this stuff, it's like, it was overwhelming. I saw schools of fish, brightly, brilliant colored coral, a barracuda, sharks, sea anemones and and like I remember going underwater and I don't know if this is how it is for everybody but I just started hyperventilating I'm like (laughs) 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 it was it was terrifying that that there was this whole other parallel reality that that actually existed on planet earth that actually you parallel it's most of reality on planet earth which is another thing it's like oh my gosh most of planet earth is this and I've been blind to it. This has been going on the whole we're walking around on earth and there's this whole other world down there. And 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 that's starting to get on board with what awe is. It's beautiful, it's awe-inspiring, it's wonderful, but it's also scary. Now the ancient uh, the ancient Jewish rabbis actually, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, they they interpret the fear of Lord the Lord in kind of three levels. So there's kind of a hierarchy to it. Now, the most basic element of the fear of the Lord is a fear of punishment. You know, one of my favorite bands, the Wood Brothers, I got to see them back in December. If you ever get a chance to get see the Wood Brothers, go take my word for it. Even if you don't think you'd like them, it's going to be the best concert you've seen. These guys, they just killed it. But one of my fav- favorite songs from the Wood Brothers, they got this song, I don't believe, I don't believe I'd have made it up the mountain. I don't believe, I don't believe I'd have climbed so high. I don't believe, I don't believe I'd have made it up the mountain without the fires burning under my behind. <laughs> That's kind of the preliminary level of the fear of the Lord. It is a fear of punishment. Now, now a lot of us evolved Christians were like, ah, you know, that's, <laughs> God loves you, he's gracious and all this. But no, there. Uh, Don't minimize this part. This part actually serves a rule. Like, for instance, when me and Dina got married, we were both, she had only been a Christian for, gosh, not even a year, like nine or ten months. I'd been a Christian for three or four years. Uh, I certainly didn't have it all figured out like I do now. (laughs) But when we got married, when we got up there on that, that church stage and we said our vows, like, I mean, we took it deadly serious. Like, like it's till death do we part. If we screw this thing up, God's going to get mad at us. We may be cursed. We may, you know, like we're, we're offending God's law, and we don't want that. Like, we want God on our side as much as possible. And that, I, I was actually telling a friend about this the other day. Had I not believed that about God, I would not still be married. 
Now, I can look back on that now, and I'm like, you know, I'm glad that I've moved to a place in my marriage where, you know, I'm, I'm because, look, I mean, I, I've said this at our Relate class. Our first five years of marriage were hell. I mean, like, if, if we didn't ascribe to the belief that, that this was till death to us part and there were real consequences from God from dissolving this union, we would have both just took off running, really, within a few weeks. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason for us to stay together. It was hell. It was, it was, it was really bad. We, it took us five years to become friends. So the fear of the Lord, we were at that first level of the fear of the Lord, the fear of punishment. And it actually served a good purpose in our lives, and it bore fruit. Now, I don't think if, if you've been a Christian for a few decades and you're still in that primary level, then, you know, there there's probably needs to be some growth. The second level is anxiety for breaking God's commands, a fear of being punished in this life for not doing the right thing. Now, this is very common. This is very similar to the, to the more Eastern religious idea of karma. You know, what goes around comes around. You know, what you do to other people is going to be done to you. And so it's, it's, it's a general way of kind of, uh, you know, trying to make it in this world, but it's, it's more about self-preservation. So it, it's, a, it's a step from being afraid of God being, you know, punishing you, but it is still more about self-preservation. It's, it really doesn't move out into community that much because it's still very much, you know, you and God. But it's still a progression from the other. Now, the third aspect of Yirah is a profound reverence for life that comes from rightly seeing. And this is where you see the, the, the relation between those two words, raha and yira. And as I was studying for this, I came across something from uh, Abraham Heschel, a uh, famous Jewish uh, philosopher and intellectual and concerning awe, he says this, Awe is an intuition for the dignity of all things, a realization that things not only are what they are, but also stand, however remotely, for something supreme. Awe is a sense of transcendence for the mystery beyond all things. It enables us to perceive the world's intimations, the world. It enables us to perceive in the world intimations of the divine, to sense the ultimate in the common and the simple, to feel in the rush of the passing the stillness of the eternal. We cannot comprehend by analysis. We come aware of, we become aware of in awe. Let me try that last part again. What we cannot comprehend by analysis, we become aware of in awe. Man, that's, I know I butchered that quote. It took me uh, a few times to get through it. But that, that stuff's gold right there. Your own intellectual mind can only get you so far, but there is something. And I, I've, I've discovered this time and time again in my own life. When, when I start getting anxious and, and, and just wondering, like, depressed, and how are we going to pay the bills, or how's this situation going to work out, and just all knotted up inside, sometimes the most 
important thing for me to do is press pause on everything and just go sit out by the lake. Sometimes the most important thing is that I just get out in nature and, and get quiet and, and settle down. And it's in those moments oftentimes that, that awe is awakened within me, that I find that I'm just one part of this divine ecosystem, this giving and receiving, and I'm part of that. And, and God is going to provide what I need, and I'm going to give out of what God provides. But that comes in a place of awe, a place of reverence. See, awe of God is a reverence for the very ground of being itself. And this is where the fear of the Lord protects us from idolatry. It is so easy to make idols out of things that are part of the creation. It is so easy to, I mean, we see this in the Bible. We see people all the time, like in, in the New Testament, you know, John like falls down at the feet of an angel, and the angel's like, get up, dude. I'm not God. <laughs> Worship God. And, 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 and awe keeps us grounded in, 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 in the nature of, of being itself, that we have a reverence for the source of all creation, and we're reverential towards it. So we don't worship angels. We don't worship mountains or trees or, or anything else. We recognize that these are good gifts from a good God, but ultimately God is beyond that. God is transcendent beyond that. And I think that's why we like looking at it, the Grand Canyon because as you're staring at the Grand Canyon, you're like, there's a lot more to this than I had in mind. I've had a handful of mystical experiences in my life with God. And some of these experiences have been utterly profound. I mean, I, I shared, you know, like when I was a couple of years into my faith journey, I've shared this story before, but, you know, I remember going up, I, I got up that morning and I told God, like, um, like, if something doesn't happen today, like, I'm going back to, like, not being a Christian anymore because this isn't any fun. I'm, I was terribly disciplined. I was involved in church. I was praying more than I pray now, reading more of the Bible than I do now. I mean, my discipline at that level was off the charts compared to my discipline now as a pastor in full-time ministry. And yet I was empty. And I, and I told God one morning, I, I said, God, if something doesn't happen in my life today, I'm going to be out in a bar tonight looking for somebody to hook up with, you know, because I, I just, I got, this, this isn't working. And I remember going up to the, to the front that morning, and several very charismatic people prayed very charismatic prayers for me, and nothing happened. And then somebody simply came up behind me, and I don't know who it was or what they prayed. They gently put their hand on my back, and I don't even, I never heard what they prayed. Next thing I know, I'm lying on the floor. I had never gone to therapy before, and God begins showing me what was wrong. Like, I had this situation that happened in high school where, you know, my girlfriend got pregnant. She had an abortion behind my back, and, you know, it was, it was the biggest betrayal I'd ever felt in my life. And God, while I'm laying there on the floor, begins to show me my heart ripped in two, and I see the hands of Jesus come off a cross and grab my, my heart and, and hold it and, and give it back to me whole again. And the whole time God's saying, you stop trusting people when that happened, and you stop trusting me. You've applied that to everyone in your life. And, you know, reflecting on the experience, I was like, yeah, no girl ever broke up with me again after that point. Anytime I felt like anything was getting uh, going that way, I, okay, we're done. 
So I'm laying on the floor. I'm getting, like, psychotherapy. I'm getting healing, all this stuff, like, for 20 or 30 minutes. And when I get up, it was like, I see trees of green and skies of blue. I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm not saying this figuratively. It was like in the fall. I get up. I felt like I was high. I mean, I was lit up like a Christmas tree. I had to have somebody drive me home. It was the fall. Everything was dreary, but everything was popping with colors everywhere. I, 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 I began to experience the, 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 the grace of God, the Spirit of God, in a way that was transformative. It was awe-inspiring. It was loving. It was fearful. It was all these things combined, but the thing is, it changed my life. And over the years, I've had a handful of those experiences. And when you step up from an experience like that, it changes you. Because you realize the Spirit's at work in everybody, all over the world. That It's kind of like that, that, that experience I had of going into the ocean when I was 18 and, and, and uh, snorkeling for the first time. When we have these experiences with God we realize there's a whole daggum reality all around us, parallel to to what we see and feel and taste. There's a whole thing going on that is immensely and infinitely bigger than what we experience here and now. We get a window into it. And when you do, it changes your life. You can't walk around treating people like they're just, you know, some collection of biology, like they're just some accident. You realize that, no, no, people are created in the image of God. You realize that, that there is much more to this thing, and you walk around with a reverence to it. You know why we start every Sunday morning here with singing all these songs to God? We are, we are practicing awe. You realize that? I know people, you know, it's, it's a frustrating thing, you know. A lot of times people show up like, yeah, you know, the worship, that's just the pregame show. I'm here for the word, man. Teach me the word. Which as a pastor, I, you know, that's cool. But what we do in worship, we need to do this as a community because it's important. We need to carve out space in our life for awe and wonder to gaze upon God, to be filled with the Spirit together. Why? So we can walk through this world differently. So we don't get caught up mistaking the good things of God for God himself. All right, I've got three minutes. I'll cover this last part. So after Solomon writes about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, he says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let us lie and wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us and we will share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. 
do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless it is to spread a net when every bird can see it. These men lie in wait, that's right, but it's for their own blood. They ambush themselves. See, the fear of the Lord is the antidote to this, this kind of living. Y'all seen these videos? These started popping up a few years ago. It's just mind-boggling. I know I'm getting old, but I I feel like I'm getting crotchety, like, quick. (laughs) See these videos of these people? Like, it's it's like the knockout challenge, I think, what they're calling it. Bunch of freaking thugs. Like, they wait for somebody to be walking down the street. Somebody runs up and tries to punch him as hard as they can in the back of the head, and if you knock it out, you knock him out, you win. It's, it's just awful, demonic. It's malevolence, incarnate. And people are doing this for, like, uh, like kicks, you know, like, hey, let's go. And, 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 you know, look, I was a teenager. I know the lure of that stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I remember having... Friends of mine, when I was a little kid, you know, let, let's just go vandalize a car. And I did. And I got a pretty bad spanking for that. <laughs> um, there is that lure to go off the path and go do, to, to rejoice in things that are perverse against God's order, that, that actually wound the things that God loves. But what Solomon is saying here is the ones who actually set up a trap for other people, they're only setting up a trap for themselves. Every one of us in here is tempted to do things that can totally take us off the path of our life and lead us to destruction. And wisdom, you know, if you go into the next chapter, wisdom is pictured as this woman crying out in the streets. And she's saying... Don't go that way. Don't destroy your life by rejoicing in things that that actually defile creation, the goodness of God. Live in a different way. And so I want to encourage you today. Maybe, Maybe you've lived your life without any fear of God. Maybe today is the day that you step on the path and you say, God, this thing I'm doing isn't working. It's bringing destruction. It's bringing evil. It's, 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 it's only leading to nihilism. I think one of the biggest things I see in the world right now is nihilism. I've struggled with it too. Nothing means anything. So just do whatever the heck you want. Yeah, do that. It will destroy you. It will take you down. Your life will get swallowed in a whirlpool of depression. Or you can get on the road to the fear of the Lord and live your life as if everything matters. Everything matters. And here's the deal. If, at the end of the day, Turns out belief in God was foolish. There's no God. I'm still going to tell you, you live your life in this way, you live life. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, C.S. Lewis's uh, thing that he said, you know, <laughs> it benefits both ways.
Wisdom is calling out. The Spirit of God is calling out. Will you turn from the paths of the simple, the foolish, the, the malevolent, the evil, and embrace your loving com- creator? Will you live your life in reverence and awe? Will you create space in your life to experience awe and wonder and let that transform you? And the words of another very wise man, Forrest Gump. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> all right, well, watch y'all stand up. Let me, let me, let me pray for you and me. <laughs> God, I pray your blessing upon every person here. God, teach us what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. God, I, I, I just want to specifically pray for those in here who've never had A, a mystical encounter with you, God, with your spirit that, that, that's outside of the norm. God, I, I pray for those who long for a, a, an experience with you that is outside of the ordinary. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give folks that today, those who yearn for that. Lord, give us each a glimpse into your realm, God. Lord, help us have eyes to truly see that there's so much more than what we tend to see in our world today. And Lord, bring change and transformation to our hearts. God, for those who have wandered off the path, who've, who've gone the way of foolishness, God, I just pray you'd bring them back on the path. Lord, for those of us who've settled for just living by... Um, the words of others, God, help us to live in wonder and awe, God. Amen. Amen. Well, if anybody wants some prayer this morning, feel free to come up to the front. We'll, we'll grab some people and pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you all. Be wonderful.